This year more than ever, there will be many people relying on charitable support as we all face higher bills and financial uncertainty. Perspective this week reflects on the Cost of Living Help Day held recently in Castletown, the very generous charitable giving of the Doricot family and their company AFD Software, and the vital work performed by Isle of Man Food Bank. If you do have more than you need as we approach Christmas, will you be giving something to help those struggling to feed their families or heat their homes? I began by talking to Jason Moorhouse about the event he organised with Castletown's housing officer, Hayley Fox. Yeah, it was a good afternoon. We had um, almost 30 third sector um, providers with banks, with various other people there, offering advice, offering support. And the turnout was slow, but we actually were covering a six-hour period, so... If you're looking at around 100 people in six hours, it does look thin, but if that was to arrive in an hour, it would look impressive. Um, In terms of what happened was we had a small number of people who got some tremendous advice, and it's that that gives that encouragement to take this idea forward. And and you had support from government departments, uh, Social Security, I think, were were represented there, and uh, were there other elements of government there? Yeah, yeah, the government did us proud on the day, and it it was quite concerned when we were actually doing the planning for this, because I'd been to the one in Douglas, and there was one clear issue that was in terms of Social Security being there, offering the advice and support, and um, I was able to push them along and encourage them, and they came on the day, and not as many people as I did expect spoke to them, but the advice that was given was good. And hopefully when we have the next one of these events, more people are going to be prepared to come along and discuss these issues. And, and in terms of the, uh, the, the event, and, and I suppose the need, I mean, how, how many constituents, I mean, have you noticed an uplift, I suppose, in, in the number of constituents who are concerned about the cost of living crisis uh, this year, you know, more so than in previous years, or, or is it just the same level of, uh, of concerns? It definitely tells increased, but we're a proud nation, and in terms of sharing these concerns, it's one of those things that people don't really want to show until it gets to that point. And I think that was one weakness with the day. We kind of promoted it as a cost of living crisis afternoon. Come along and we'll support you. And I think when we do this again, it needs to be the emphasis needs to be on making life better so people can come along, they can actually support the third sector, they can get advice from the third sector. And I think, you know, it's important that those um, signposts are available to help these people where they do need it because it's a tough one. When you're struggling financially, you know, you can have tried everything and still be in that difficult position. But, you know, that last push to get the help you need needs to be there. And, yeah, you need to get that support when it is required. Because, of course, that that's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, you, you talk there a little bit about the, the sort of the pride that some people have and uh, um, possibly even that they don't realise that help is there and that, and that they have every reasonable right to, to, to access the help. Uh, you know, maybe they're, they're soldiering on and thinking, ah, well, I've managed before, I'll continue to manage and everything will be fine. Um, how, how do you overcome some of these uh, feelings, whether it is pride or, or perhaps uh, just not understanding how much help could be available? I think it's having different opportunities to actually access this. Um, one of the impressive things about social security was the way in which they were able to come on the day but also in which they're operating with all the third sector agencies and I asked an answer about three weeks ago about how people in Castletown who got these issues could actually get the support without coming up to Douglas 
And I was so impressed to actually hear that in the South, over 100 people in the last 12 months have been able to access them in a really informal way. And that's important because, you know, to actually come up to Douglas, to have a formal meeting, to share your deepest concerns with someone you've never met before is a big one. So I think more of these informal opportunities we have, like the cost of living day, the better we will be and more support, the better really, yeah. So in terms of the institutions that turned up for that uh, afternoon, uh, who, 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 who were they? Who, um, wh- wh- which were the, the, the sort of the, the, the ones that were providing the, uh, the, the, the best advice? And um, uh, I suppose any, anything else you could tell me in, in relation to that? Well, I was really blown away because on the day, we actually had everyone who I wanted to attend. It was just one person who couldn't attend. That was due to a family issue. But, you know, we had everyone with the food bank. We had housing matters. We had um, the... Um, the credit union we had all the all the people that kind of are making it their daily lives to actually improve the lives of people around the island and to have them in one room wasn't only good to in terms of helping people but also in terms of networking because so many of them actually said that this afternoon I've spoken to a person from the food bank I've spoken to someone from um, various different agencies who we meet in passing but today we actually had a real chance to sit down and talk, and that was so beneficial. And you know, I suppose listening to your answer there, it's, it's hard not to think, at least, um, well, why is it that it's left to constituents, M- constituency MHK and um, uh, housing officer for Castletown Commissioners to organise something like this? Well, I think it's one of those things that, as MHK, you've got lots of contacts, you've got the opportunities to do these things. And Haley was, you know, in that position to actually assist. She got the contacts with the people in housing. She'd, she she wanted to do this. And I basically gone to the event in Douglas and gone back to Castletown and said, can we do this? And she said, why not? And so you've got someone encouraging and working with you. It's simple. And that, that was basically the nature of it, that we saw the opportunity. We did it in a month from the idea to actually fruition. And... Hopefully, we can build on what we've done. It was yeah, successful for many aspects. And then, I suppose, finally, for those who didn't have the opportunity to go, sadly, I, I wasn't able to go. I would have liked to, uh, uh, just to, to talk to some of the people uh, for this programme. But um, how, how would people f- get access to this information? Because I think a lot of the problem... Um, and, and one of the advantages of a drop-in session like this is, uh, you know, that face-to-face meetings. The problem is an awful lot of stuff is available online if people have the access to online services and know how to use them. Um, but it's uh, maybe more difficult if uh, if you're not um, sort of IT high-tech uh, uh, savvy. That's it. And um, one of the key events of the day was it's just before Christmas. And people aren't actually looking now about how to actually manage their debt, manage their time, manage their housing, whatever. whatever. There's so much going on at this moment in time. And there's this general consensus if we could do the same in February, perhaps at a different location, perhaps in Port Erin, then there would be more opportunities, more people would be prepared to come along. And given Haley's recent success, that's hopefully that's something that we can do. So, yeah, we're looking to replicate what we've done and build on the ideas that have come forward and hopefully make it even better. Because, of course, uh, Hayley Fox, who is the Castletown Housing uh, member, has also now uh, recently uh, been elected to Port Aaron Commissioners. That's it. You know, she's, she's worked really hard. And to actually work with someone who's so positive and clearly had 
ideas of how we could take this forward. It was just, yeah, it, it made it doable because to actually take on a task of this magnitude and only have 30 days and everything else going on, it was good to be able to work with someone like Kaylin. Yeah, thank you. And in terms of getting in touch, that, that people obviously can get in touch with their local MHKs, local authorities. Um, th- those are the sorts of agencies that can point people in the in the, the, the direction of some of the other charities. Um, so it's just a case of pick up the phone, write a letter, uh, send an email, and um, and and ask because the help's available. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and also. The third sector organisations all tend to be linked in. So if you've got a problem um, accessing sufficient food, as part of that process, you know, you'll be able to share your concerns about housing in other areas. And I think we're really fortunate that on a small island, we do come into contact with each other. We're all kind of working for the same thing. So hopefully just by making one link to someone, either an MHK, a commissioner, a third sector organisation, we'll be able to help you move forward. David Doricott and his company AFD Software have been giving very generously to Manx and international charities for several decades. Judith Lay caught up with David at AFD's recent charity awards evening. David Doricott, you've just given out £1.6 million spread across something like 90 charities, local and global. That's £1.6 million that you could legitimately keep for yourself. You could give it out to your staff in bonuses. You could put an endowment for your grandchildren. But instead, you have given it away. What drives you to do this, David? Oh, I can take that question from different directions. First of all, uh, when uh, the AFD business was started in 1983, my wife Anne and I undertook that step specifically as an expression of our Christian faith. And part of our prayer was that God would use us as a channel to provide for what he wanted to do in the world. So at that level, it's a direct result of a prayer we prayed in 1982. On another level, you could take it that when you look around the world, uh, there's a huge need. And yes, you could buy a yacht, uh, you could buy mm, at least part of a private aeroplane, but actually, what a kick, eh, to think that a few pounds spent here and there and multiplied by the efforts of some quite remarkable organisations can actually transform a single life in the Philippines of someone who's been sold into human slavery or perhaps feed a village or teach them how to grow crops effectively and sustainably. And to be honest, that is a bigger kick than some of the other material benefits that are usually where money goes because money is of itself an immoral subject. Some people say money is the root of all evil, but it's actually the love of money, the Bible says, that that there is at the root of all evil. And I think we can look around the world and see that that is a valid statement, because often we'll say, won't we uh, watch where the money's going or follow the money? Well, in fact, money is just a token by which we can achieve some objectives. And if we're going to be responsible citizens particularly in the rich West, and the the Isle of Man is not just a fabulously beautiful place to live, but also is fabulously wealthy in world terms, then we have as responsible citizens to look at what is driving hopelessness, deprivation, death, war in a lot of countries. We all bemoan the fact that people will put their children in rubber boats to cross the English Channel. Why is that? Is it because they have nothing to lose? And it probably is just that. Why will a parent sell their child into um, human traffickers or sex slavery. Why will that happen? It's because they don't know how to feed the other five children. Now, that is something that, as a human being, 
we have to respond to. And we can respond to it by ignoring it, or we can respond to it by being overwhelmed by it and doing nothing, therefore, or we can do the bits we can do. And we just love, in what now is getting in towards our 40 years in business, of actually having that uh, 1982 prayer answered. And God has blessed us with lots of money, and uh, we've taken huge delight in what it's been able to achieve in all sorts of different ways. This is not a one-off. You have been doing it every single year. It's a varying amount, but it is always a very substantial amount. And I can clearly remember the year when it brought a plane for Mission Aviation Fellowship so that they could take relief into areas where only a small aircraft could go, and still at a great personal peril for the, for the pilots. Now, the way that that you choose the charities that benefit is quite special, isn't it? Because you very much acknowledge that it's your staff who make the company prosperous. So that's a driver for where the money goes, isn't it? Yes, we have a staff team of about 50 people engaged in our postcode people business. And uh, yes, some of them are programmers, some of them are customer service people, some of them are sales staff, some of them deal with the nuts and bolts of finance and administration. Even the people who keep the lights on in the room are really important people. And together, as a team of about 50 people, they've created something that's quite special and excellent. And that is another factor in our success. Some of our customers have been on the journey with us for over 20 years because of those people. We don't use automated call handling systems and we have a little business mantra of making happy customers which we all own and we hold one another accountable to it and that contributes to our success. But it's a team, it's a team effort and when you speak to each individual member of the team they have stories They have stories of uh, organisations that helped them when they were bereaved, when their children needed specialist help, when they uh, needed educational help, sometimes perhaps when they'd been poor and people helped feed them, or they knew of others in their family who did. So all the stories that are behind many of the nominations are really personal and special. And uh, I think uh, for, for most of my colleagues, the opportunity to dish out some of the company's money to uh, these organisations is a thrill. Uh, it's certainly the case that in given the choice of whether they get to come to the charity evening or the uh, staff Christmas party, if they had commitments, it's quite often the case they come to the uh, charity evening because they own it and it's part of them. And as I said, because of those personal stories, we all have stories and stories are important parts of what we are as human beings. Is pressure ever put upon the event in general to focus more on Manx charities, local charities, than to look globally I've heard that put. We've never had it quite put to us. We, we obviously look at charity beginning at home would be how that would be expressed. And yes, there are lots of needs that we've responded to on the island. But going back to what I said earlier about world need and particularly the global south, where there is hopelessness and deprivation, which sooner or later visits our shores one way or another because people flee it, because it causes an instability in some uh, parts of the world, which have repercussions here. So I wouldn't say we, we like to look internationally out of vested interest, but it is really in our interest to be genuinely global-centred. And, of course, uh, we look across the water to the adjacent island with all its problems. We're insulated from quite a lot of them, but, again, many of those problems will visit on our shores. Just look at the drug trade in the UK, which impacts our uh, little island here and reduces our sense of safety. And we wonder about our children being led astray by such influences. So I think there is a responsibility to look at home. There's a huge responsibility to look across. 
and an even bigger responsibility to look internationally. So were someone to come along and challenge us and say, oh, you should spend all your money locally, we would say that wouldn't be in our best interest. Now, I think tonight you've had one of your biggest representations from people in positions of power, shall we say. His Excellency, the Lieutenant Governor, was here. Also representing government, Andrew Smith was here, Dr Allenson was here, and Daphne Kane. Yes, and we could add to them two or three previous uh, MHKs uh, representing this area. Mr Tier was here and uh, Anne Crane, uh, well known in the Manx political scene, that family. I actually think that they come for a bit of joy. They're carrying a huge burden right now. Um, uh, It's no easy task to be making some of the hard decisions we will have to make to navigate these tricky times. And it's easy to be cast down. And one of the things that impacted me tonight was uh, Zoe Anderson's uh, rehearsal of the fact that it only takes a small amount of light to take away a lot of darkness. And uh, we have a lot of joy about this evening. It's something to look forward to. It's something to rejoice in. It's a good news event. And my goodness, do we need some good news? Judith Lay also spoke to Ramsey MHK Alex Allenson. Dr Allenson, the idea of of somebody giving away £1.6 million that they could legitimately keep for themselves or or bonus their staff with, how does that make you feel? Very very proud that they're uh, an Alaman business. Uh, But it's more than that. It's the ethos of the whole company. There there are lots of of large companies that make, make donations, but the whole ethos of AFD is about giving and also about caring for their own staff. And so a lot of the things about the way that they give to charities is involving their staff being part of that giving as well. So I think it's unique in terms of philanthropy um, for, for the island, but certainly a model that I'd love to see replicated with, with, other, with other companies on the island. We know that companies do a huge amount to support our community, but this is really very special. And I think it's the consistency. Every single year they give away a really significant amount of money. This is an average annual donation. But I do think, you've touched on this, that it's the fact that they encourage their staff to choose the charities, maybe charities that they already support themselves or have benefited from, because they acknowledge that it's the staff that make the money, that that make the company profitable. Exactly. And some of the charities that their staff have been touched by in various aspects of their life, and, and one of the aspects of tonight and, and the, their programme is explaining that. So it, 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 rather than coming to a company um, event, it's, it's almost like coming to a family event here. There really is that sense of togetherness and a sense of genuine compassion um, based on, on faith, but genuine compassion to work hard, but then give some of that back, not only to the local community, but to the international community as well. I think it's a hard reality that we are dependent upon charities really to to fill in the gaps in social care in many cases, aren't we? We are. I I think there there are certain things that government can do, certain things that government may be restricted in terms of finances, and and that's quite apparent at the moment. But I think there's also, particularly on the Isle of Man, that sense of community, both here and, and right across the island, that people whatever their wealth, want to give something back to the island that that has given them that comfort and that home. And and I absolutely applaud that. I don't think government should get in in that way. And there are other people who, due to to their own pride, perhaps, or or to to their own modesty, don't want to ask government to 
for help, don't want to apply for certain benefits. That's where some of the charities that work in the communities can help them in a very, very much more natural way and, and a very much more human way. And, and again, I, I think that's absolutely brilliant that, that we've got so many, so many people on our island willing to give it, give not just the money, but the time, the effort and compassion to people who, who live next door, their neighbours, their friends, but also people they don't know in the wider community. Talking to Neil Mellon, and uh, you are the, the unpaid chief executive of uh, Isle of Man Food Bank. Um, why do we need food banks on the Isle of Man? Well, the reason for coming to food bank and, and it's generally, generally around finding yourself in a crisis. So there's been a change in your situation. Um, it might be a change that's affecting you in terms of your health. It could be a change affecting you in terms of your income. But usually there's a fairly massive change that's gone on. So for some people, it might be a tragedy. They've woken up uh, next to the partner who's dead in bed. They have money in their in the bank, but not in their, their name, not accessible. So there could be a short-term issue around being cash asset rich but cash poor because you can't get in to sort it out um, it could be ill health and finding that you're going backwards and forwards to adjacent islands to support family or parents um, and that just drains resources um, over the last two and a half years obviously we saw a lot of issues where people were using up their savings um, to help cope um, because of cutbacks due to COVID and lockdown. It can be loss of a job. It could even be a change in what you do at work where the boss could come up and say, how are you doing, Johnny? You do a great job here. I've just realised you've been here 30 years and you're still being paid weekly. It's about time you're on a proper salary like everybody else, which is great. But suddenly you realise gosh, I've got three weeks with no income to hit payday. Um, and in that time, you could have a gas bill or electric bill or uh, a visit from the landlord. Certainly at the minute and over the last um, several months, really from September on, we've seen a lot more people coming in here with anxieties. And I mean really acute anxiety, anxiety that I haven't seen at a level before um, where they're concerned not about coping at this minute, but their ability to cope in the future. They're looking at what's happening with uh, fuel charges and ink and um, rental charges, etc. And they're concerned that they're just not going to be able to cope with it in the future. So we're able to help in different ways in relation to that. That some of it, it will be what we can do practically for clients, and some of it we'll send post them on to other organisations that can help. Some people certainly will, will be questioning the whole need for food banks and will point to the fact that we have a social security system, uh, we have various other uh, safety nets that government puts in place. Um, wh why would you, well I presume you would argue that uh, actually that the safety nets aren't enough. Uh, why do you think that is? Um, well, you're right, there's all the statutory, statutory routes um, that pe people can go down and get help where government is responsible for certain things. But there are a lot of people that fall through those nets. You're absolutely spot on. Um, 
people have to remember, and often people don't actually realise, you have to be on the island for a set period of time before you're entitled to a full range of benefits. You have to be uh, a resident on the island for 12 years to become eligible for local government housing. Um, there are factors like this that make a big difference. So somebody comes over to the island, marries a local lad, you have a couple of kids in the first four years, suddenly the relationship breaks down, um, the person who's moved to the island, has kids, is left in a situation where they can't claim for themselves because they're not entitled to benefits. They can get their child allowance, obviously, but that's it. And without certain allowances, then you don't open the doors to things like free school meals, bus travel, etc. So there are some real practical things that need to be addressed. Um, there's also issues like... Um, childcare. People will try and keep on either a second job or do a few hours a week part-time work to help supplement their income. Um, but as we go through um, the, the challenges that we're facing now with uh, increases in costs and increase in um, so an increase is inflation. People are picking up extra work but that often means they have to pay for additional childcare. Childcare costs are going up. So suddenly it becomes less affordable to actually do the additional hours. It becomes easier to turn around and say, tell you what, I'm going to go back on the benefits because that is easier to cope with, which isn't the aim of the benefit system. And I, I, again, you know, there the will be people who, who say, well, yeah, but... All these people are sat at home watching their big, uh, I don't know, 80-inch screen tellies and uh, and uh, really they're, they're not really that badly off. Um, how would you respond to, to that? Well, I, I get that quite regularly and it's disappointing to hear. I don't challenge it. I think everyone's entitled to their views as to whether they support the food bank or not. Unfortunately, we're supported fantastically well by the Manx public. But to the people that say, you know, your clients are at home drinking red wine, smoking cigarettes and watching TV, my answer, my response is always where. Because I keep on a community workload. I still interview people at Bala Fletcher and at the other outlets when I can get time. But I want to be in touch. I want it to be contemporary information that I have so I can feed back to the public and government and other bodies and say, here's the real situation. And I've never yet seen anybody wake up and say, oh, goody, it's Monday, let's go down to the food bank. And before I go down to the food bank, I'll nip out and buy a new mobile phone, and that can be added to the bill, and I'll do this and that. We work primarily with lost dreams. We meet people who have grown up thinking, um, I'm in a lovely family, I love my mum and dad, I'm going to go to school. When I grow up, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to meet somebody, get married, have children. They have their dreams. We all have dreams like that. But the people that I work with are people who have lost dreams. Um, they experience life totally differently. They struggle day to day uh, to make, make ends meet. We meet mums who go without food on a regular basis. Um, we see households where father comes first because... They still have to go out and earn what they can. Um, children come second, mothers third in line for 
what they can have to eat. So we take a lot of pleasure in meeting our clients for the first time, going through their life story and looking at how we can help them by giving them a structured, holistic plan to get back to being independent again. Well, um, it seems an appropriate time for us to go and have a tour of the building. So we'll, we'll do that and then we'll come back and, and ask some more questions. This is our primary storage area for uh, Bala Fletcher House, the headquarters for the food bank. We have two other outlets, one in the south down in Port Erin and one up in the north at Ramsey. Um, and we'll all be doing similar things now over the next fortnight, getting all these Christmas packages out. But this is the store room for uh, Bella Fletcher, and we'll go down to the second room, which basically is like a corner shop or the packing room. The packages are put together here. The, um, the volunteers uh, don't see the full story in relation to the clients that we interview. They have a summary sheet that will say, here's the family name, here's where they live, here's a phone number to contact them to let them know that you're delivering, so they're in. Um, and then they'll put together the um, packets and tins, the ambient temperature goods together here for that family. The information will also include any allergies or if there's specific needs. So if it's a baby who's either on formula milk or a child that's in nappies or pull-up pants, we have all that here. We've always, right from the very start, been a sanctuary for any women who need uh, sanitary products and they're always available at any time. Uh, now we're down the main corridor and we're going to walk, if you like, the passage that the food parcels journey on from an empty box to completion of packaging. So you'll hear the story of the box being developed and, and how the volunteers do that. Um, You'll see there's about half a dozen volunteers here at the minute. There's also two out on the road. So we, the ones who are in-house, some of them are putting together the food parcels for the next week, ready for delivery. Um, we have two out on our van delivering at the minute, and then the others are putting together the Christmas parcels. So on Christmas week, um, our clients will have their regular uh, weekly food parcel. And then there's a Christmas box, which will have enough in it to give to a, a good uh, Christmas meal. So there'll be a portion of turkey, there'll be either pork or gammon. We have all the trimmings, sausages, stuffing mix, uh, chutneys, etc. Make it as exciting as possible for everybody. Well, we're in the lower kitchen of um, Bella Fletcher House. Uh, this is a kitchen that we've had great ambitions for. We hope to redesign and restructure it so that we can turn it into a teaching kitchen. It's important that our clients know how to cook food and cook food effectively and economically. So to that end, we also help provide um, the equipment to help people cook that food and process it. And we provide that in the form of slow cookers. We find it to be very economical and makes a big difference to people's diet. Because, of course, on the whole, the raw ingredients are an awful lot cheaper than the, the processed, um, you just slap in the microwave sort of uh, food. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the nutritional value of frozen and tinned food is still significant, but we do believe it's important that we have a good balanced diet across 
the the client's uh, period while they're with us. So we pro- perhaps go through more perishable goods than most food banks would entertain across the British Isles. Um, and we also have some really good deals, if you like, on the go with organisations. So over the last couple of years, one of the gun clubs in the north have provided us with their excess kills. And I think we're probably the only food bank in the British Isles that occasionally has in pheasants, ducks and anything else silly enough to fly in front of the guns. <laughs> and and I'm seeing a lot of um, mince pies, Christmas puddings and selection boxes in here. Um, can, do, you, do you, at this sort of time of year, do you, do you sometimes get oversupplied with that uh, sort of thing? Um, I would always be careful about saying anything about being oversupplied in case it turns people off giving. Um, we do get most of our food in at this time of year, and that's great. But we have people delivering on a daily basis um, throughout the year, which is fantastic. And that will come from individuals, families, uh, faith groups, businesses, organisations. Um, and it's not just food that we get to, uh, donated. We get time. We get people coming in and giving us, sharing their experience in business and how that can be changed um, or used to change our views on how we manage the food bank. Certainly over the last three years, more and more captains of industry that have been up here have been saying, you're more than just a food bank, you need to rebrand. So we're giving that some serious thought. Uh, I don't think we'll ever lose that uh, philosophy, that basic philosophy and ethos that we have about being there to rescue people in uh, crisis. but we just have to make it as sophisticated as possible, but not complex. So where, where now? Which, what, which room are we in now? This is our distribution room. So this is the end of the bag's journey. The bags have been filled with ambient temperature produce and things like toiletries, um, nappies, etc. And they'll be stored around the room under the... It's all signposted for each day of the week. And only when the client arrives here to pick up their food parcel or when the delivery team arrive do we add in the fresh and frozen produce. In terms of distribution, um, we obviously know where our clients are living because we picked that information up from their initial interviews. But we have, um, as much as possible, we ask the clients to come in and pick up food. And that's important because it allows us to see the, the client, see if they're improving, if, the, if what they're getting is appropriate, if there's additional problems that have cropped up that we're not aware of. Um, there will always be people who either physically or emotionally or um, in, gar- in regards to mental, mental health can't come in, and so we will deliver to them. The service in the north and in the south is purely on delivery. Um, so we rely on a vast range of volunteers. We have over a hundred volunteers now with the food bank, obviously not working every day of the week, um, but we're always glad to have them on board even for a day or a half a day. Um, We have people who volunteer to help with administration upstairs and to type up the notes that we take when we interview clients. Um, They'll also help with, with statistics. We have volunteers that help us with fundraising, We have volunteers downstairs who do the stacking and racking, as we call it, and sorting the goods out. We have the volunteer drivers 
during the daytime to deliver, but also in the evening to pick up and at weekends to pick up the excess food at the end of the day from the supermarkets. Um, we have volunteers who help us with our allotment up at the Braid. Um, and then we have volunteers who don't actually come into the building. They work from home, but they'll uh, occasionally help us when we have surpluses of food. So they'll take on uh, the strawberries and the raspberries that come in during the summertime and convert, convert that into jam for us or jelly. Um, and we have volunteers who look at some of our more exotic meats, like the, the game birds we talked about, and perhaps turn that into a casserole or into pies for us. And effectively, nobody's paid here. No, we, we have no paid members of staff here. We are uh, an area that will take people in for work experience, so we work closely with the job centre. Um, we work with people who have various uh, learning needs. We work with people who have uh, who want to test themselves to see if emotionally or physically or mentally they can cope with getting back into a work field. And they might come and stay with us for a few weeks, months at a time. Well, we've talked about volunteers, so maybe we should talk to one or two. My name's Breezia Walcombe. D- tell us then about volunteering at the food bank. It's very rewarding. I absolutely love it. Um, I get quite overwhelmed by the the donations because obviously, you know, it is about, um, well, especially this time of year, it's about keeping people well-fed and happy, warm, comfortable. And and it's, uh, well, I mean... you're you're not alone here. The, the, I mean, there's a large team of volunteers. Um, how, how do you how do you actually work as as a team? Because it must be difficult uh, um, <laughs> making sure that everyone knows what they're doing and where they're doing everything. Yeah, Medina runs a tight ship, um, but we all we all fall into it. You know, we we do work well as a team. Um, and for me, I'm quite a new member, so I'm still learning the ropes and stuff. But um, yeah, the girls and boys that have been here for a long time, I'm really like privileged to to work with such a great bunch of people. Well, basically, I was somebody that needed help. Um, I came here for the help. I got all the help that they could give me, and now I volunteer because I'm giving back, um, because I think that's really important. And that that is a tremendous thing. And uh, I I suppose, what would you say to people who say, oh, well, we don't really need food banks on the Isle of Man? Oh, we definitely need food banks, definitely. Um, I remember um, being so cold and hungry um, that... I didn't. I didn't even know there was a food bank until you know I reached out. I had to reach out, um, and when I found that there was such a wonderful establishment here, I was uh, very, very lucky. But yeah, now I advertise as well, and I, I make sure that people are aware that there is such a place, and you can get the help you need. My name is Medina Sharp, and I'm a volunteer along with the other volunteers. It's we have upstairs and downstairs. So basically, upstairs is where we do all our admin work, where we assess clients um, for support, and downstairs is where we do packing of parcels, receiving of donations, that kind of thing. Uh, roughly, how many clients would you say you have? Um, I think we're looking at about. 390 at the minute. Um, the last few days have been really hectic. We, we've been taking on maybe five to six clients a day, which is really busy for us. And is this always the busiest time of the year in the run-up to Christmas? There's peaks and troughs. They, um, it's one of the busy times. Um, there's school holidays, which is really busy. 
So it, it just varies depending on people's circumstances. And of course, with the high winter fuel bills, etc., we are busier now. In, in terms then of, of managing the volunteers, is, is that one of your tasks to, to make sure that people are in the right place at the right time, putting the right things in the right boxes? To a certain degree, there is another lady in the office that um, helps with that. Jane is one of the directors and Annette as well. Um, together, we try and coordinate the volunteers. And that must be quite a challenge sometimes. It can be, but we're blessed because we have a really good bunch of volunteers. Everybody's friendly and they work really, really hard. If, if someone's employed, it's a relatively straightforward thing because you can say, look, you're, you're paid to do this, so get on and, and do it. When someone's volunteering, that's a much more difficult conversation, isn't it? It can be, but um, fortunately our volunteers are open to receive correction and by the same token they bring in brilliant ideas to us as well. And in terms of volunteers then, I mean I, I think Neil said there was something like, a, was it a hundred or, or maybe more than that? I think it might be, um, yeah, around about a hundred, but that, that's, um, I think that's island-wide, did mm. you say? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, effectively there are th three sort of hubs for the food bank, one south, one north and, and uh, this one there in uh, Douglas. Uh, do, you, do you have any role in, in sort of coordinating the efforts of the three or is that uh, Neil's job? Um, that's Neil's job mainly, but also um, the South, south is um, run by a lady. She's more or less in, in charge there. And the North, we have somebody else there. And then Neil oversees all three. Excellent. Um, in terms of the, the well, the, the other ad, admin sort of functions, I mean, the, the um, I suppose that would include answering the phones and um, um, doing the interviews. Uh, how, how do you how do you go about assessing people whether they are um, suitable candidates to receive support from the food bank? Okay, so what we do is we take them through the assessment process, as you've said. Um, we just try and identify. The family makeup, the family dynamics, um, the crisis that they're in at that minute. We do go through income and expenditure. In that, we're just trying to identify other avenues where we can help them or connect them with other agencies. And once we've got our numbers down and all our information, then we then de decide on a support plan for the person. Because it's much more than just supplying food, isn't it? You, you, I mean, that, that's a, obviously a key aspect of the role of the food bank, but you're actually providing a kind of a, um, like a, a social care package as well, really. That's correct. And in fact, um, quite a few people have come in and um, when they first come in, they're really nervous or some of them are just so emotional, they burst out into tears. But then once the process is finished, they're so grateful. It's just somewhere where they could come and offload and have somebody to listen to them. S sometimes it's easier for people to talk to organizations that aren't the government. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you find that? Yeah, we do find that we've had um, quite a few people who've been frustrated. They've been trying and trying to get somebody in certain departments to listen to them, but they never heard, so it can be frustrating for them. What we do, we do um, have uh, certain projects going out throughout the year. So Easter, we'll put on um, Easter parcels for our clients. During school holidays, we'll get school bags and stationery in for the kids. And then, of course, Christmas time, we'll put out a special parcel for our clients as well. Yeah, and um, I, I just 
want to say thank you to all our volunteers as well. Um, they really work so hard. They put so much effort into everything, and they're so passionate about what they do. So we've had the tour. Um, it does seem appropriate that I'm interviewing you and you're dressed as Father Christmas. Yeah, uh, I did say when we met, Phil, this wasn't for you. I've been out with the Douglas Rotary Club. Um, I like to support them during the year, but um, particularly at Christmas. So we have a team that go out uh, with our Rudolf Slay and a team of willing volunteers. Um, so that's why you've caught me between roles at the minute. I, 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 between the white hair and the beard, which has all come through hard work, um, I, I often get referred to Santa at different times of the year. Uh, um, but I have to say, it does help uh, soften that initial meeting. And it, it, people seem to be more relaxed um, when sitting with an old fat man, really, and <laughs> talking through their issues. Just a, a final uh, point then, um, in relation to the needs of the food bank. Uh, I mean, obviously at this time of the year, you will be getting lots of uh, food donations. Um, what, you know, on a sort of longer term basis, what, what are the sorts of things the food bank needs? Uh, and what would you, uh, um, you know, if, if someone is thinking, well, actually it's Christmas, I ought to be donating something towards the food bank. What are the things that you most need um, for, from people? Well, uh, we certainly need food donations and we're always grateful for whatever we receive. We have a food that comes in on a daily basis from individuals, from families, from businesses, faith groups, schools, uniformed organizations. That come in constantly. Um, we have peak periods, so such as the summer holidays, where we there's more of a demand for food because of the additional burden on the family because school, free school meals have stopped for the holidays. Um, on the lead up to September, there's always issues in families that are accessing help uh, for help with new school uniforms. And we all know what kids grow like over the summer. Um, so there's a whole range and raft of things that people can help with. There's no one thing that's more important than the other. Food's important. We also have to pay our rent uh, for two of our three properties. Um, we've had fantastic support from the commissioners in Port Erin who allow the food bank to use uh, a surplus space in their premises. Um, so that's great. We have the same issues around increasing fuel costs to warm the building, etc. And we have no doubt that um, we will see our rent rise significantly in the near future. So everything we get is appreciated. The food and the, the any cash donations, always appreciated. But also the time, and I think I've already touched on this, the time and experience that people give to us where they come up, visit the food bank, go away, think about it, and come back and say, you know, we can help you in other ways. Um, we have staff in our businesses who are given one or two voluntary days a week um, uh, a year and we would like them to come up to Valafletcher to help and that's a godsend to us because they can get on with the more physical aspects of stacking and racking the tins and sorting the food out while we get on with dealing with the actual client problems um, 
but also we've had businessmen come up and talk about you know organizational change giving ideas giving advice um if somebody volunteers and they have experience with computers or record keeping or administration that helps massively as well um and as for anyone with interview skills if, if you're used to being in a role such as nursing social work uh teaching whatever where you're used to listening to life stories and recording it then that makes the whole job a lot easier as well sounds like there might be a job for me then well there you go you'd be very <laughs> always be very welcome um and finally, then, um, contact details. How, how would people get in touch? How would they find out where to donate money, for example, or, or um, um, find out more about the work of the food bank? Right. Um, we have literature all around the island, um, in, in shop windows, in uh, local government offices, schools, etc. But the starting point is our telephone number, which is 646999 which makes me think that perhaps we're also an emergency service, and I think that's how some clients would view it. Um, we have a website, we have, we're on Facebook, so people can access that really easily. As you know, I normally finish off with some sort of pithy comment, but I can think of no better way to finish this programme than these comments by Neil Mellon. Well, we get flowers from the various supermarkets. The majority come from Marks and Spencers. Um, and it surprises visitors to the food bank who'll be up to see us and find out what we do and how we do it. Um, a lot of people will say, why bother? You know, it's not a food product. There's no nutritional value. But we're giving flowers to people who perhaps haven't had a bunch of flowers in months, sometimes for years, and sometimes have never had a bunch of flowers. Um, and it's quite an emotional thing for them often but it allows them to open up and talk more about their life journey and that gives us another insight and perhaps allows us the opportunity to add value to their food parcels.